five, four, three, two, one. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Here we go. It's game time. Unforgettable. Welcome to Sports and More, where almost anything goes. Coming to you from the marsh just outside of Edmonton, Alberta, here's your host, Dean Millard. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Nice to be in orbit that's a true story and it's the best story I have of all my years of playing hockey and it's one that still comes up regularly um we're playing back in Red Deer right after World Juniors uh Laddie and Dion uh squared off at center ice right off puck drop they square off they fight uh guys played for the Rebels and they played for the Hitmen and uh so it's a rivalry as it is both teams are pretty good at the time um so Laddie and Dion do their thing, and it's the next face-off, and I'm looking at Getsy, and I've tried to fight Getsy probably every game now, but he won't fight because he's, not because he's scared, but because he doesn't want to get taken off the ice for five minutes. And uh, I looked at Getsy, like, Getsy, and we're buddies. There's no, we weren't enemies at all. I said, if there's ever a time, now's the time. Let's go. And he's like, okay, okay. So next puck drop, me and, me and Getsy square off at center ice. For two pretty good fights, too. So the four of us knuckleheads are in the uh, penalty box or whatever, a week after or a couple days after winning the, the World Juniors. And everyone starts talking. Oh, there's turmoil. They don't like each other. No, no, we all like each other. It's just, we're, I don't know, putting on a show. Yeah. <laughs> Stupid teenagers, whatever you want to call it. I don't know. It was fun and it was funny and it's it's still funny today to, to talk about it. It is one of the best stories uh, that I've heard. Welcome to Sports and More, the podcast, episode 27, featuring Colin Frazier, three-time Stanley Cup champion, world junior gold medalist. I'm Dean Millard, and almost anything goes on Sports and More. I'm glad you've downloaded this podcast, or if you're listening to it on the 12-ounce radio network, just appreciate that you have tuned in. I think you're really going to like this episode with Colin Frazier. You can follow him on Twitter at Colin Frazier. If you like, he's got some really interesting things going on that we will talk about in a second. We have some great things going on featuring the World Juniors. Top three today on Sports and More Live was your top three favorite World Junior teams of all time from Canada. 1999 was my honorable mention because it was the first one I saw live. It was in Brandon. Roberto Luongo, Jan Lasik, 0-0 tie, Canada, Slovakia. Still was really cool. They won silver that year. Uh, 1995, it was the Marty Murray show. Uh, former Brandon Wheat King was the best player in the tournament, and they won gold. 2015 was uh, fun for me because I was in Toronto watching it, and McDavid was there. Max Domi was really good. Darnell Nurse was awesome. And they beat Russia in the final. It was a good team. And 2005, the team Colin Frazier played for, in my opinion, the best team of all time ever that Canada has featured. Do yourself a favor. If you don't know that roster, look it up. There was only one skater that didn't play in the NHL. It's pretty amazing. Uh, 
So that's our top three that we did on Sports and More Live, and you can uh, chime in and send us your top three if you would like to as well. Also going on at Podcast Alley this week, Jordan Blundell joined me on the Prospects Baseball Show to recap the top five moments from his team, from his perspective this past year, and we chatted Major League Baseball free agency. We also unveiled how you can win a pair of ultimate sports passes just before Christmas. So it's really easy. Check it out, prospectsbaseballshow.ca. Listen to the latest episode, and it's easy. Get on Twitter and get in the mix for a pair of ultimate sport passes before Christmas. And those passes, 79 bucks gets you one ticket to the Eskimo game, one ticket to a Prospects game, one ticket to a Stingers game, and one ticket to an FC Edmonton game of your choosing. It's awesome. We got a couple of them that we're giving away on the Prospects Baseball Show. And Ian Scott from Plant Life Cannabis Operations Manager joins me on the Cannabis 101 podcast uh, this week. A really interesting look into what's going on at Plant Life. And he was just in Vegas for a convention and how different it is between Canada and the USA. We also have our 12 strains of Christmas going on uh, at Podcast Alley as well. Uh, leading up to Christmas, a different strain each day. And then on Christmas Day, when you tune into the Cannabis 101 podcast, you can find out how you can win a prize package around that. And you might be listening to this on 12 Ounce Sports. And if you are, thank you very much. Sports are more live 2 to 4 Mountain Time on 12 Ounce Sports, 2 to 4 p.m. Mountain Time. You can check out our store, do some shopping, and enter the College Bowl Mania Contest. So a lot of good stuff going on, including a gift card from Acme Meat Market up for grabs after our interview with Colin Frazier. You will want to know something about the 2005 Canadian roster. The answer is in the interview. We'll give you the question at the end of it. All right, let's find out a little bit more about Colin Frazier with the bio. Time for the bio. Colin Frazier was born in Sycamus, BC, but at three years old, his family moved to Surrey, where he was raised and played his minor hockey. He played in the 1995 Brick Invitational Tournament was a top 10 WHL draft pick of the Red Deer Rebels. He joined the team as a 16-year-old and spent four years in Red Deer playing for Brent Sutter, wearing the C and winning gold with Canada at the World Junior Championship in his final year. A Flyers draft pick, he was traded to Chicago where he won his first Stanley Cup. Nine days after hoisting the cup, he was dealt to the Oilers, where he played one season, then was traded for Ryan Smith to the LA Kings. Under Daryl Sutter in LA, he won a pair of cups, his second and third. Since retirement, Frazier is scouting for the Chicago Blackhawks and working with SchoolU.com, a one-on-one teaching service for athletes, musicians, and more. His wife Carly and their three children now live in Sylvan Lake, Alberta. Colin, it's really a pleasure to uh, chat with you. Uh, I enjoyed following your career when you came in as a 16-year-old. Uh, with the Red Deer Rebels to your time with the Edmonton Oilers and uh, obviously beyond. Um, I want to start the conversation, though. We were just talking before we got on the air about the Brick Tournament. You played in that tournament in 1995. Uh, your oldest boy now wants to play in this tournament like uh, his dad did, but 
times are a lot different. I do the play-by-play for Brick Games. It's awesome. But that tournament has changed. Tell me about what you guys were doing in between games in 1995. Well, in 1995, I even go back further. I uh, I wasn't even going to play, and my dad gets a call. I played the cross all the time in the spring. I didn't play spring hockey. And dad gets a call and says, hey, they're throwing this team together. Do you want to play? Well, of course I do. So it was a team out of Seattle. Um, but we kind of had kids from all over the place and, and we did like a week of practice and then went to the tournament and that was it. And, uh, Dustin Bufflin was one of the guys on the team and me and big buff would be laser tagging and going on the roller coasters <laughs> in the arcade and basically running buck wild around the mall by ourselves and then scrambling to get back to the rink for our second game of the day or whatever it would be. And it's just how times have changed because I've seen the videos you guys do and I've I obviously follow it a little bit because it's a really, really cool event. And it's like these guys are pros. They got their headphones on. They got their warm-up gear. They're stick handling. They're taping sticks. They're doing whatever they see on TV. They see Connor McDavid do. They're doing it between games. And it's just it's crazy to see how much it's changed. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it is a great tournament. And, uh, you know, the amount of players that come out of it is is awesome uh, we, we do have to remember that these are kids and, and encourage them to be uh kids at times this year was really cool because colton pareko showed up with the stanley cup and just walked in the room unannounced and you know these, these the kids that are all serious about the game suddenly became kids again well i played with colton and he's a heck of a guy really nice really really nice guy local guy and uh it's fantastic he did that but that's yeah it's nice to see the kids loosen up loosen up a little bit i've always got to remind these guys like gee guys in nine like i think i i just approach it differently personally because i played and i and i was not a I mean, I played in the NHL, but I was by no means a, an A-list NHLer, so I kind of had to gut it out for everything I, I got, whether that's the American League or Germany or whatever. And it, it's not easy. It doesn't get easier. It gets harder when you're getting in the gym and it becomes a job and you got to you know, live it every single day of your life to work out, to train, to get better. It doesn't get easier. So watching these seven-year-olds just go crazy, it's just... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I take it a little bit different approach. I, people can do whichever way they want, but I, I want my son to enjoy it and not feel those pressures and, and uh, having to perform and be so good all the time. And, um, you know, being like a pro, I mean, you got to confidence is a huge thing. So you got to fill them up instead of break them down, especially when they're nine. They just don't, uh, they don't have the mindset to know kind of the importance of everything. If that makes sense. Uh, it it does uh, totally. Um, okay, I want to talk to you before we get to some of your NHL career. I want to chat with you about uh, the World Juniors, um, and and that, in my opinion, the best team ever uh, that you played on. But before we get to you playing, do you have a favorite World Junior memory from being a kid and watching it? You know, my family got up no matter where the tournament was at whatever time to watch games. Was it the same for you guys? And does one tournament stand out? Um, I'm tr- I don't. I don't know if what one tournament doesn't stand out per se, but absolutely 100%. We'd get up and I'd watch the thing from beginning to end. And you, watching the uh, the star players, I guess. Um, I don't know, like Ryan Smith and uh, right. uh, oh, I can't even think of these guys' names because they're all weird. Me, but like just um, living the dream, you know. Like it's just it's like a tradition to get up. It's still a tradition you know, in my house too 
to follow and to watch the world juniors and watch the best young players uh, play. I think it's such a big deal, biggest deal in Canada more than any of the other countries. Um, and it, it is part of our, our culture almost. What, what was it like then for your family to watch you play in that tournament? Oh yeah. So we, my parents obviously came, um, we're in North Dakota. They all came down and my sister was actually living in England at the time. She had, uh, she, she had taken a teaching job in England and so she wasn't going to come. It was too far to come. And, uh, a very good friend of hers surprised her with a Christmas present, a ticket back to, uh, North Dakota to watch world juniors. So she came all the way from England to hang out in, in beautiful Grand Forks, North Dakota for <laughs> a week to watch, watch me play uh, world juniors. And it is, it's, it's uh, same with the Stanley Cup. You, see, when you're in the moment, it's obviously a big deal, and you obviously are proud to be a part of it. But I don't think you understand how big of a deal it is to everyone else around you and your support system and um, parents, brothers, sisters, whatever, and then even friends, family, everyone back home watching. It's like everyone's telling everybody at work that they they know Colin Fraser, player X, that's on the team, and you don't realize. Uh, when you're playing how much how cool that is and how much of an impact it has on people so um you know uh obviously proud to be a part of it and i look back on it and i, I sometimes question how i made that team because they were so good but uh i filled a role and i was able to to play a regular shift too uh for sure uh, i think at five points in uh in the uh, six games as well um, the one well, thing I like I, that you say that because I tell people that I <laughs> say, guys, I'm like I wasn't just a grinder. That's here. right. I had five points in that tournament, and I was on the fourth line. All I did was kill penalties, so I found a way to get on the score sheet. Yeah, that's right. Well, that's the that's the kind of talent you guys had is uh, down a, down a man killing penalties. You were still dangerous, and um, it was dangerous to go outside during that tournament. Do you remember that storm? I mean, that tournament is remembered for the guys on the ice. And all the people that got stuck in North Dakota because of that storm yeah, and was, all those Canadians made that tournament amazing because they couldn't go anywhere. It was minus a thousand. And, uh, <laughs> they, got, they couldn't get the, couldn't get back to Winnipeg on the highway. So they correct me if I'm wrong, but they opened, there's like a football stadium, yeah. uh, and they opened it up and the people are sleeping in the, cause no, there's no hotels left. World juniors. It was all sold out, uh, smaller town. So, um, Everybody was at the football stadium spending the night hanging out and doing whatever else in there. Drink, I think they drank the, the the arena out of beers too. Every single game sold them out of beers too. Us Canadians uh, showing everyone proud how, how we like our beers. Well, we could drink three of them to their one, right? They're uh, it's such a, a small alcohol level. Also so the, true. You know, the Canadians were going crazy. Um, I also remember that tournament for being at Ralph Engelstad Arena. I'm, I'm sure the Americans got the North Dakota dressing room, but still, um, even the visitor dressing rooms where you guys stayed were amazing. And I've been told that's where Brent Sutter said, we got to redo our room and attract players because these facilities are so awesome. Uh, what do you remember about that arena? Oh, it's beautiful. Um, everything kind of thought out and, and high end. Uh, what I remember most is the logo in pretty much every corner of the arena. Yeah. So the Fighting Sioux logo was, I mean, in the walls, in the floor, everywhere you turned around, you're staring at a logo. Um, you know, the, to be proud to be part of the organization and the school. Um, you know, no, no stone left unturned really with everything. And we, we weren't in the homeroom, but we were able to tour and it was beautiful, especially at that time. I mean, um, 
it is a big part of recruiting and you're right Brent did redo the room if, if it wasn't the next season it was the season after uh redid the Rebels room and it is it's I mean it's twice as big as what we had when we played there yeah. and the the just the resources you know whether that be from training or uh medical or equipment or everything it's uh the best of the best and uh it obviously goes to show with the program they have there that it that it works all right, let's talk about um, uh, the tournament and, and that team that you guys had. I, I say, you know, the the tournament that was held in Red Deer, uh, that ironically Ryan Smith, who you were traded for at one point, uh, that was also a lockout, and there were some pretty good players. This team involved the lockout and just their stars. I mean, that team, there's only one skater from your team that didn't play an NHL game. Do you know who that is? Steve Dixon. Yeah, good one. But isn't that amazing that out of all your skaters, only one guy didn't play in the NHL? And, and a lot of you guys played pretty significant roles in, in one Stanley Cups. I mean, you said, I don't know how I made that team, but you were a pretty good player at, uh, at that level. And, you know, what was it like going to that training camp? What was it like being around those guys on that team? Did you realize how good you guys were? Uh, at the time, probably didn't. Re- we knew we were good, but but probably not as good as we are if you look back on it you look at the players and and never mind how good they were how many hall of famers are on that team yeah. and there's a few i can name a few off the top of my head uh whether that be Corey perry or ryan Getzlaff or shea weber uh Dion Phaneuf, brent seabrook like these guys are legit legit nhl uh superstars and have been for a long time um to be a part of it in the moment same thing when you're in the moment you don't really think of it like that you just want to play well and I, I knew I was in tough to make the team but I also knew that I can fill a role that not many are, are willing to do or don't do it as well and uh, I played with a lot of grit and a lot of energy and I just tried to have the mindset to outwork everybody and win face-offs and, and kill penalties and I told people now post-career that I like some people get really excited to go on the power play I got really excited to go on the penalty kill uh, call me weird Maybe it's a weird trait. I don't know, but I'd almost don't get me wrong. I want to play on the power play, but the penalty kill was my power play where you could um, do what you do best and go to work and kill the penalty and make it happen. And those guys don't always get the same recognition, but that's kind of my mindset I had on that team. Uh, I wasn't going to play ahead against uh, Perry and Ladd and Crosby and Bergeron and the list goes on, but uh, I just wanted to make the team. So, I was able to do that, and me and I played as Clarky MacArthur, mm-hmm. and Steve Dixon was the other winger, and they were calling us the grind line, and we got the job done. And even I think, what did I have six points? Clarky had seven or eight points himself. So uh, I think we were pretty successful. Patrice Bergeron, from what I'm told, asked the Boston Bruins to go to that tournament. He was playing in the American Hockey League. He wanted to go to that tournament. Um, you know, you see what he is like now. You played against him in the NHL. Was he the ultimate leader on that team? Yeah, he's he's a, even uh, when I still play, when you see him, like just a really nice guy, like just a down to earth, quiet, nice guy. He's not a rah rah screaming, yelling guy. Um, just a lead by example on the ice with his play, and he was obviously we we are uh, happy to have him. Um, as far as the story of him asking, I don't know the story, but uh, he was the best player in the tournament. Uh, if he ended up getting the MVP, and he just. I mean, we see him every day in the NHL, just quietly goes about his business. He's good in the media. He's good on the ice. He doesn't uh, get into trouble on or off the ice. He just does kind of everything the right way all the time. Just one of those uh, one of those guys that's kind of good at everything. Um, 
Uh, and he's, it's fun to play. Like I tell my kids now, I'm like, look at these guys, dad played with all these guys. Right. Cause my kid thinks I'm a grind a plug, a grinder, you know, a healthy scratch. <laughs> no, 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 no. I was good. I was good. These are the guys I played with. So they think it's cool now that they see the roster. Well, I, I, I think that's where, uh, Patrice Bergeron, Sidney Crosby began because after that world juniors, anytime there was an international event that those two guys were on the team, they were always put together on a line. Um, what do you remember about Crosby then? Because he wasn't the, um, the, the, the most dominant player on the team. Maybe he was, I'm not sure, but he wasn't the most, like it wasn't his team yet. He wasn't there yet. He wasn't the oldest guy. He was still really good. Um, and we all knew what he was going to be like, but what do you remember about Sidney Crosby then? Um, yeah, he, I think he, he was just 16 and, uh, so he wasn't the guy, but he was very, very good, obviously. And we all knew kind of, you know, the up and coming superstar it's weird, but you, you look up to him. So I remember going to camp, like being in awe that that's Sidney Crosby, but he's like three, three years younger than me. So, um, I don't know. It's kind of a weird thing to say that I guess but I think that's what he probably doesn't even know that but you know older kids are looking up to the younger kid just because of who he is and how good he is and uh, same thing though like just the ultimate professional we see him uh, on the media and on TV and he's just one of those guys that's never satisfied and works hard every day and keeps his nose out of trouble and just uh, wants to get better and better and wants to win and uh, I mean that was evident in the world juniors too just the a very mature young man that uh, just wanted to be the best, and I mean, we've all seen what he's what he's done now and what he's capable of. And I guess it's an honor to say I played with him. It's, uh, I know the kids around my town think it's pretty cool that I got to play Sidney Crosby, even though it was a, seems like a lifetime ago. Yeah, no kidding. Um, so you you said at one point, geez, I don't know how I made that team, kind of tongue in cheek, but uh, you know, one of the reasons I think you were picked on that team is because your head coach, Brent Sutter, knew exactly what he was getting when when he tapped you and you jumped over the boards because he was your head coach in Red Deer. Uh, did Brent coach differently with that team than he did with the Rebels? Did you notice a difference in your head coach? Uh, no, you'd be right on to say that I had a, a, a voice in my corner, so to speak. I was the captain of the Rebels at the time and I'd been with Brent for, that would be the fourth season and uh, he knew exactly what I brought to the table. So that absolutely helped me. Um, but as far as coaching, he coached the exact same way. I mean, the, I had Brent and Daryl and they, they very simple and very black and white with them. There's no gray. So it's, it's not hard to play for them as long as you work hard. So, um, systems were the same, the same mindset, the same approach, nothing changed. And we just had a lot more talent to do it with. And, and, and outside the town, we had guys that play hard too. I mean, talented guys mike richards was our captain and um you know jeff carter and do a deon for enough like these guys play hard you don't have to motivate these guys to to get them to battle and compete it's just a really just i mean it's easy for for our team to to play hard and play like a team it wasn't uh foreign to us you know the the probably the least known uh part of your team was your goaltending in jeff glass and uh rajon bolshaman um, you know, you would know, uh, uh, well, I guess you know uh, both of them um, having uh, played against them. Um, but, you know, they didn't have to be great because the team was so good, but they did the job solidly. They didn't cause any uh, uh, issues or close calls. Uh, they were just uh, steady Eddie. What, what do you remember about your goaltending? Uh, they're, well, they're both from the West, so we played against them all the time. Um, Western Leaguers. So Glasser was in Kootenai and 
Bosch was in uh, Prince Albert, I think. Yep. Uh, I mean, the thing about Glasser is he he might still be playing, but I know he played in the KHL. He's a really good goalie. He's an Ottawa pick. Um, played some games with the Blackhawks two years ago. Mm-hmm. Just like a journeyman goalie, but I think he's kind of better than everyone gave him credit for. He just went over to Russia maybe earlier than most do. So um, he's had a great career, a great career that nobody's kind of ever talked about or heard about. So he's, he's probably better than we gave him credit for. He's just not a superstar like some of those other guys. And when you look at goaltending, what do you, you just want them to make your saves. You know, you don't you don't need a goalie to steal games for you. You just don't, don't let in the bad goals, if that makes sense. And uh, both those guys just do their jobs, make your saves, and we'll do the rest. You guys gave up five goals in the round robin, uh, and three of them to uh, Slovakia in that first game. Like uh, Slovakia scored the most goals out, out of anybody, uh, and you guys. Um, you know, what was the 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 level of confidence at the start of the tournament, and then at the end of the round robin? That's, I wouldn't even have known that stat, but I, I mean, we were just good, right? Like mm-hmm. looking at our roster, I think we knew we were good. It was just a matter of putting it all together and not. You know that the old cliche pulling as one and not as individuals uh, and just buying in and uh, I mean really we just kind of full steam ahead as a, as a unit. I don't I don't particularly remember any um, speed bumps really. It, it, we played the Czechs in the semifinals. I want to say it was two nothing. It was a pretty close game, but three one. Their goalie three uh, one. Yeah, their goalie was uh, the first round pick thing. I can't remember his name, but he was fantastic that game. Like, I want to say the shots were 50 to 12, you know, like we owned the whole game. But, uh, I mean, that was a, a little bit of a close call. But other than that, we were kind of just full steam ahead. Yeah, you, you beat Sweden and Finland by a combined 16 to 2 in the round robin. I mean, those are countries that are really strong at the World Junior. Sweden's uh, riding an unbeaten streak in the, in the 40s. Uh, right now so you you get to uh the the final and you're facing russia um and and you guys targeted you guys targeted alexander ovechkin not in a, in a bad way but just that you know we're gonna hit him uh you know a guy on the team once told me that that was the mission let's let's hit ovechkin so hard we take him out of the game not literally but we take him out of the game he ended up being taken out of the game literally do you know who it was that knocked ovechkin out of that game because there were so many hits. Do you, do you know who the, the, the clincher was? I want to say it's uh, Patrice Bergeron. Really? Hit him right on the far side boards. Yeah. Uh, clean hit. I want to say it was him. Um, but yeah, I mean, your top players, you got to be hard on top players and they had Malkin and they had Ovechkin. So, I mean, you stop them, you stop the team. We knew that. Um, especially, I don't want to say I'm an old school guy, but if you go back, the game was tough. It was still a tough game, a hard game. We still played physical, and uh, um, that was the game plan. I mean, it was within the rules, of course. We're not out there gooning people. We're just out there playing hard, and we had a lot of guys that didn't shy away from physicality. Uh, I mean, Shea Weber, Dion Phaneuf, and we had Braden Colburn on the back end, Seabrook. Uh, those guys aren't afraid of, of you know, Getzlaff, Andrew Ladd. These guys aren't afraid to hit people, and play physical and play in your face and um i think it's hard when you're when you're a guy that that's i mean look at him he's a he's maybe the best goal scorer ever arguably and and still going at it and um 
you got to shut him down. And I think we did a good job of doing it. Yeah, it was uh, awesome. It was uh, domination. I remember just watching that, seeing like they're they're just uh, systematically destroying this Russian team. It's interesting you mentioned Getzlaff and Lad because if I recall correctly, the first game back after that World Junior was against Calgary. And did you and Fanuf not fight Getzlaff and Lad right off the draw, or is that a myth? No, that's a true story, and it's the best story I have of all my years of playing hockey, and it's one that still comes up regularly. Um, we're playing back in Red Deer right after World Juniors. Uh, Laddie and Dion uh, squared off at center ice right off puck drop. They squared off. They fight. Uh, guys played for the Rebels, and they played for the Hitmen, and uh, so it's a rivalry as it is. Both teams are pretty good at the time. Um so Laddie and Dion do their thing, and it's the next face-off, and I'm looking at Getsy, and I've tried to fight Getsy probably every game now, but he won't fight because he's, not because he's scared, but because he doesn't want to get taken off the ice for five minutes. And uh, I looked at Getsy, like, Getsy, and we're buddies. There's no, we weren't enemies at all. I said, if there's ever a time, now's the time. Let's go. And he's like, okay, okay. So next puck drop, me and, me and Getsy square off at center ice. For two pretty good fights, too. So the four of us knuckleheads are in the uh, penalty box or whatever, a week after or a couple days after winning the, the World Juniors. And everyone starts talking. Oh, there's turmoil. They don't like each other. No, no, we all like each other. It's just, we're, I don't know, putting on a show. Yeah. <laughs> Stupid teenagers, whatever you want to call it. I don't know. It was fun. And it was funny, and it's it's still funny today to, to talk about it. it it's amazing. Uh, it, what, do you think it was uh, pre-planned between Dion and, and Lad and, uh, or, or did do you think that just happened spontaneously? I mean, yeah, I think they, I think it was somewhat planned without being talked about. I, right? They didn't. They're two stubborn-headed guys. They they got along, um, but I don't know if they always saw eye to eye at the same time. If that makes sense. So they're two competitive guys that were just. Uh, I don't even know how it started. I, I didn't know what's going on. It just happened. It's not like uh, Dion told me this was going to happen. So. Um, it was interesting. We just kind of ran with it, and I think it's really funny. Uh, I think it's you hilarious. Today. No, you you wouldn't. But I think that's that's just amazing to uh, to see that happening. Um, it's also amazing. There, this this has been brought up before, but four, three of your minor hockey teammates became teammates in the NHL with the Hawks: Seabrook, Lad, Brower, and yourself. You guys all played minor hockey together, and then you played in the NHL. Like that's almost as rare as six brothers making the NHL, like the Sutters. Yeah, well, we played, it was spring hockey. So in the winter, we'd play in our, whatever teams were on, Surrey and Seeps is in Delta, Browers in Delta, and Laddie was in Maple Ridge. And, uh, but in the spring, they'd throw this team together. Uh, we're called the Vipers. So um, the dad, Seeps and dad would put all these teams together. So we played the spring, and we didn't lose very many games. And we also had uh, uh, Mike Santarelli. He played played more games than I did in the NHL, 400-plus games with Florida and Nashville. And uh, we had Chris Holt in net, who was a Rangers draft pick, um, who had a good career in Europe. So, And we had uh, Trevor Smith, who played some games with the Maple Leafs uh, and over in Switzerland. So we had a – I mean, outside even the four of us that played in Chicago together, we had a uh, quite the roster of kids, and we were starting at, I think, 11 years old. So two years Adam, two years of Pee Wee. Uh, so four years together that we, we didn't lose a lot of games, that's for sure. And we'd pick up Jeremy Collison, too, for tournaments mm. every now and then. He'd come over from Alberta, and we'd pick him up. It was hilarious. Uh, uh, spring changed a lot in the, 
since when we played. It was more of a, because I still play lacrosse, so it was more of a, hey, let's get this team together, do a couple practices, and go to a tournament. Right. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't this big cram a whole season into, into uh, six weeks like they do now, but um, but at the same time, it was the best hockey. It was the most fun hockey I've ever played uh, as a kid, for sure. Yeah, and, and that's what hockey is meant to be. Uh, it's meant to be fun, and uh, you know, if, if you get to a certain level like you did and it becomes a job and a career, and, and that's great, but uh, for the most part, uh, you play hockey to meet friends and uh, learn things and become a better person. Um, the, the hockey world right now has a lot of eyes on it. Uh, you, you mentioned you played for Brent and Daryl, two pretty demanding coaches. What do you think about what's going on right now uh, in the hockey world with um, uh, the, the, the all eyes on coaching right now? Uh, did you ever have a, a, a coach that was, was like that? And do you think that while it is terrible and we need to get rid of it, especially racism, but, but certainly any kind of abuse, uh, do you think that is still in the minority when it comes to hockey coaches? Or do you think there is a, a widespread problem in the game? Um. Personally, I, I mean, I had Brent for four years and I had uh, Daryl for three years with LA. They're not easy guys by any stretch. They're hard and they're demanding, but um, they're fair at the same time. So, yeah, did I get yelled at? Yeah, absolutely. Did, uh, um, did they kick me in the butt to get going? Not abusively, but <laughs> get your feet going, let's go. Yeah, of course. But I uh, don't think I play in the NHL without uh brent sutter and junior um that's how big of an impact i think he had on me as a hockey player and as a person he um to learn to come as a 16 year old to red deer and think you're really good at hockey uh and i was but i didn't know nothing at the same time <laughs> so learning how to be a pro and learning how to commit and learning how to work every day and learning how to play a two-way game um and learning how to be consistent every day uh, all these things, I just, uh, a lot of values and, um, stuff that lessons, I guess, that I learned that I still use today with my own kids, whether that be work ethic, commitment, uh, responsibility, leadership, um, all kinds of things. So, I mean, I guess it's unfortunate, uh, that the guys are coming out with the stories that they have. And obviously some of them are too much and extreme, for me personally, um, I can say that there is no abuse uh, in the locker rooms I was in. There was no uh, chew being spit on any kids that I played with. Um, anything to that uh, extent is uh, unacceptable and shouldn't happen. But at the same time, it's not every single organization and every single team. So do things need to change? Absolutely. But uh, as far as my experiences, um, with the coaches I had and the teammates I had, uh, I think it was, um, I, I have no regrets or no issues, uh, whatsoever. And I think both, uh, Daryl and Brent were a huge influence on my career. And I was able to be very successful at both of them. World juniors, Stanley cups. Um, and now post hockey, uh, I use some of the, the life lessons that they taught me. As weird as that sounds. Mm -hmm. No, and, that, and that's what you do. Um, you know, if you play hockey and become a doctor or a lawyer or a plumber or a broadcaster, you're going to lose use the things that were taught to you. And uh, I, I, you know, I always found an internet. You come to Red Deer right after the Memorial Cup. I like you miss that 
moment, uh, you know, by by a year, I, I guess it was. Um, and then in the cyclical nature of junior hockey, um, you know, teams load up and then they go on a uh, on a downslide. Uh, you guys were still pretty competitive. What was it like coming into Red Deer with that buzz of a Memorial Cup, though? Uh, yeah, so I just missed it by a year, but we were top-ranked team or top yeah. uh, you know, five-ranked team the whole next year. We ended up losing in the finals to Kootenai Ice, uh, and Kootenai ended up winning the Mem Cup that year with uh, Jared Stoll, Merrick Fathos, uh, Thomas Plehall, Duncan Milroy, guys that played in the NHL, and uh, and they won. And then that my second year, we lost in the finals to Kelowna, which would have been Duncan Keith and Josh Georges, uh, among others. And so we're right there, right there, and then we just couldn't win again. I mean, it's hard. Uh, but we kept that up. I mean, Red Deer did a good job there for four, five, six years to stay competitive and stay at the, never mind competitive, stay close to the top. Uh, I, I consider myself fortunate to be a part of the I guess the winning culture, so to speak, and um, having long playoff runs. And uh, that's the same thing. I think got me ready to be a, a pro and, and carry that over to to carry that, you know, those experiences to, to my game in, in the American League and then the NHL. So you get drafted by the Flyers. Uh, you traded uh, with former Rebel Jim Vandermeer uh, to the Hawks. Um, you spent three years on the minors there. How patient were you? Uh, it's funny, you know, looking back on it, it you always want it like yesterday. Oh, yeah, they're not yeah. calling me up. They're not calling me up. But that's not really, I wasn't that kind of guy either. I'm not the kind of guy to like point fingers and say, Hey, I'm getting screwed. No one's calling me up. It's like, all right, I just need to play better and work harder. So, um, I was patient. I was patient my first three years for sure. I got two years in Norfolk. It's not like I was sitting there wondering when I was getting called up, but the third year in Rockford, we moved the Hawks moved from Norfolk to Rockford. I started getting a little bit impatient where, the Hawks were a pretty bad team at the time, and they were kind of calling everybody up. Uh, you know, myself, but Jake Dowell and Chris Bersteeg and Bufflin and uh, Brower and Jack Skilling, all these guys, and they're all like the revolving door. Like, they're just trying all these guys because they were kind of at the bottom of the league. And uh, I just thought I would get more of an opportunity uh, to get more games, and, and I did. So, uh, actually, I had a meeting with Stan Bowman. He was... Uh, GM, he just, I think he was the assistant GM at the time and then took over that summer. And I, I just said, Hey, I just want a chance. All I want is a chance. And two games isn't a chance. Like, give me like six games, seven games, like something where I can prove myself. But if I suck, well, then I suck and that's the end of it. And we don't have to talk about it anymore. But like, I promise you, I'll, I'll prove you. And so when I came into camp the next year, uh, I had a really good camp and, um, I made the team out of camp and the rest is history. I never got sent down again. Uh, so I guess I was on the radar, but I, I had to, I had to earn it. I wasn't given anything. I had to, I came into camp in really good shape. And then I, um, I just, I don't know. I just, I'm kind of a pretty determined guy and I just uh, knew my role and I knew my limits and I stayed within it. I didn't try to, you know, overdo myself. I just wanted to play in the NHL and at all costs. And I was able to, to make the team. So I had Denny Savard was the coach at the time. And I still tell him to this day when there's, I played every exhibition game too. I uh, didn't even get a day off because they were just like, uh, I don't know, it's almost like I had to just prove myself that I belonged here. And uh, I scored a goal in one of the exhibition games and Denny Savard came down in my ear and he said, keep giving me ammo, kid, keep giving me ammo. So I think like when you have a coach telling you 
to keep going and keep giving me ammo, you know you have a voice inside the room that's supporting you. So when they all talk about who should stay and go and cut and whatever, uh, when the head coach at the time is a supportive, then it obviously helps your situation. So I was able to, um, I guess, grab his attention and then get his support and then uh, prove that I could play, and I stayed the whole year. Was there anything that you learned in those three years that helped you climb uh, to the NHL? Was it just, you know, staying within yourself, not trying to do too much, being patient? Uh, I don't know. Was there one thing that sticks with you that you learned in the minors? Maybe just being a man? Yeah, well, yes. And I had uh, a coach in the minors, uh, Mike Haviland, coaches at Colorado College now. Uh, fantastic coach, fantastic person. Um very, very good. A very good, uh, not like good motivator without, I guess, a, like a coach, a player's coach, but can still motivate you. He's not your buddy, but he's not screaming and yelling at you either. And he'd always, he just, he was a big fan of mine. So, you know, a coach likes you when he plays you all the time. So right. here I was playing on the power play and playing against the cop lines and playing on the penalty kill. And I just playing all the time. So I knew that he liked, he didn't have to tell me he likes me. You know, a coach likes you by how much you're playing. And one of the things he told me all the time was, because uh, I was starting to get frustrated in Rockford that I wasn't getting called up. He's like, just somebody's always watching. Somebody's always watching. So that was my motivation. So if it's not Chicago, they have scouts at every game, right? Pro scouts, whatever it is. Somebody's going to like you. So that was kind of my motivation. Obviously, I wanted to be a Blackhawk. I'm not saying I wanted out of there, but... Um, my motivation was uh, to just keep playing, really. It's all you can do. You can't control what or where or how you get to where you're going. It's just, uh, yeah, I do know if you're not going to play well, you're not going to get called up. So um, big credit to Javi for that and uh, the fact that he, he, he put me in position to succeed. You played one game, your first NHL game in 06 07. Uh, in your second stint, uh, second year, in the in the uh, when you were with Norfolk for, for most of the year, and, and then you finally get called up uh, for for good in uh, 08, 09, as you mentioned. What was your welcome uh, to the NHL moment? That it was there one thing that you said, okay, I'm here now. As long as I work hard, I'm staying here. Yeah, uh, yeah. What's what you can't really let your foot off the gas, right? So you you make the team. And, but I'm still living in a hotel. Like I'm not in the clear yet. This is my, this is my thought process. Like they could send you down at any time. And, um, I, I wasn't a heavyweight, but I'd fight a lot. And so it's game opening game of the year. We we're in Madison square garden. And, uh, I fought, uh, Ryan Callahan, uh, pretty good fight, but I was like, Holy crap. This is Madison square garden. Uh, first game of the year Hawks versus the Rangers. And here I am fighting at center ice with, Brian Callahan. It was like a holy moly moment yeah. for me in my career, if that makes sense. And then, uh, but same thing, you can't let your foot off the gas. And I remember it was probably like November after Halloween. We'd be, I'd been living in this hotel for September, uh, all of October into November. And uh, Joel Quenville called me into the office and uh, gave us, uh, who else was with me? Brower, I think, and gave us permission to get a, an apartment. And so once you sign on the dotted line that you're getting an apartment, you know, unless you really do something stupid, you're staying there for the year. So that was like my big, all right, you've made it kind of moment where not that you let your foot off the gas, but you can kind of decompress for a day and, and say, uh, 
that I made the NHL officially, and they they're not gassing me down to the minors tomorrow. Although they still can <laughs> if they did, wanted to. Did you think you were getting sent down when you got called into Quinville's office? Were you a little bit worried? Was it in the back of your mind? Uh No, I don't particularly remember that. But I uh, he was a pretty good guy. Like he's a really good guy. So I, I don't. I never. That never really crossed my mind that they were going to gas. You same thing. You know when you're playing well, right? Yeah, like, yeah. I played, so I didn't get that feeling per se, but I didn't know what was happening. So it's not something like, oh, I'm going to get an apartment today. It's not yeah. something that crossed my mind, but it was like kind of an off day, a light day. You know, we had a couple of days, pretty loose day, and our team was doing well too. So it made it easy. And um, it was like a big, it was like a big to do. It was a big deal. And mm-hmm. it was a big deal for me, but it was like, congratulations from all the guys too. Yeah, you hear that from a lot of players. That's a milestone uh, moment. And, and then other players recognize how. Uh, important that is so you're two years in the nhl and you win the cup with chicago what were you thinking who were you thinking of who comes to mind as you're lifting the cup with the hawks for the first time <laughs> uh surreal moment right like it's kind of weird um yeah i don't know you always grow up wanting it to be you but you never actually really think it's going to be you if that makes sense mm-hmm. like that's a, that's a pretty hard thing to do and there's a lot of <laughs> hall of famers and legends and guys that never won a cup you know um so fortunate and lucky and good timing and all that stuff. I don't know. Who did I think about? I don't particularly remember, but it was kind of a wild, uh, because if you remember the, the series against, not the series, but the goal against Philly, uh, mm-hmm. nobody knew if it was in the damn net. Yeah, or Patrick Kane, right? Uh, he was the only one that knew it was in. And, that, <laughs> and so I wasn't playing. I was healthy scratch uh, for most of the playoffs. And we're up. I can't remember, whatever, we're off a goal. And so third period, we start getting our gear on. Um, me, Burrish, Brian Bickle was there, just the Black Aces. And uh, they score to make it, to tie it, 3-3, three, three, whatever it was, 2-2. Two, two. And we're like, oh boy, are you kidding me? So then it goes into overtime. So we're like, we don't want the guys to know we have our gear on. So right. we're like ducking around into this like stupid storage room, literally this little closet of a, of a room at, at the, uh, I don't know, it's called Philly, Philadelphia's Arena. And uh, then we're sitting there like, we have to win this game because we can't sit here and take our gear off <laughs> after, <laughs> after a loss. Going back to game seven, I'll feel like a complete, uh, uh, not a smart person. So uh, Kaner ends up scoring. We're watching on TV in the dressing room and Kaner scores. So we go out to the bench, but we don't know if it's in. So we stop at the gate on the bench. Like, Do we go on? Do we not go on? Do we go on? And then we're like, ah, screw it. So we just went on the ice. And then we're sitting there like, I hope this is actually a goal because I don't want to have to come oh, off man. the ice. Oh, man. <laughs> so it all worked out well, but oh, I would have felt like an idiot if we had to now pick up our stuff and go back through the bench and back into the room. And then can you imagine if Philly ends up scoring after? I would have been, we would have jinxed it. Oh, so and the me- if the media gets a hold of it and that becomes a ma- major story, uh, oh, my goodness. Uh, silly and then I became like the guy like because then in LA it's like well what did you do I'm like ah just put your gear on I'm like if we're gonna win just put your gear on and telling all the black aces just be ready just be ready (laughs) who cares so they were all ready they they learned from me I learned that's my experience right there a healthy scratch guy on how to how to get out in the celebration there you go uh you didn't have a lot of time to celebrate though I think you were traded 15 days later um were you surprised I, I wasn't surprised because uh, if you remember salary cap, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know how many guys, the Hawks unloaded nine guys, I think. And we talk about this today. I'm telling you, all of us, like if they didn't have the this, this salary cap, 
we could have had a dynasty there. I firmly believe that. With the players they had, if you go down that roster, if you were able to keep all those players, and the Hawks didn't have any problems winning after that, but um, some of the players they had on the roster that they just had to literally give away is Sopel and Buffman and Ladd, and I don't even remember who they all had to give away, uh, me being one of those guys. And I was a bottom-end guy, but um, I could have stayed, but I wasn't getting a raise. I was making league minimum. And that's all they could offer me was league minimum. And uh, I said I didn't want league minimum. And they said, Stan was literally like, no problem. I understand. We'll get you moved. Like, that was it. It wasn't like this, like, hard-drawn line or this weirdness. It was just, it was a business. And they, they got it. And it was what it was. And uh, so I got traded to, to Edmonton. And I was actually I was really excited to go to Edmonton. I live in uh, Sylvan Lake, just outside of Red Deer. And uh, it was almost like a coming home, so to speak, where you're out in the West and close to home and going to a team that's struggling and you're going to play more and you're going to you know, have these experiences from winning and all this stuff. And uh, I was really excited to go, um, but it didn't work out so, so well. <laughs> no, uh, like you went from the, the, the penthouse to the outhouse, unfortunately, uh, in, uh, in, in the NHL as far as a contender to – um, being last place in the NHL, um, what what was that like um, comparing the two teams and the environments? Because one of them, you're on top of the world, and the other one, you're on the bottom. Oh, it's awful. It was like, and not only were we in 30th place, we were in 30th place by a landslide. Like, it wasn't even close. Um, 2000, uh, that was 2010, 2011 season. We just weren't very good. And I just, like, I, I don't know. They, I mean, they lose. It's not fun, right? And it's like the, it's like the culture. Like it, with the Blackhawks, we were like just young and uh, like no care. Like we kind of grew up together in the minors, and then made Chicago, and it's like this big happy family, and we're having all this success. And uh, Edmonton is like the opposite. Like it's hard to have success, and you're never kind of not. I guess you're in this rut, you know. Mm-hmm. Like these guys didn't know what winning was because they'd never won. Uh, or even really been successful. It's like it's kind of been that those times where they're just struggling. Um, it wasn't from lack of effort, or it wasn't from uh, lack of leadership. Like it was just one of those things. We just couldn't. We just weren't pretty good. <laughs> we had a lot of injuries, and it was a tough year. I'm not gonna lie. It was a tough year on the team. It was a tough year personally. I think uh, I was hoping to play a bigger role, being on a going to a weaker team. I didn't necessarily think I was going to be a power play guy, but I thought, I mean, what it taught me is that it doesn't matter what team you're on. Uh, it just matters what role you fill. And so the Blackhawks uh, liked my game and liked the role I filled. And uh, Edmonton, uh, it comes back to how much you play and when you play and the situations you play in and who you play with. And I didn't get that feeling uh, in Edmonton, um, which is okay. But uh, it, was, it was a tough season, personally. Yeah, it was young players. You know, it was Eberly and Hall who were still so young. Even Sam Gagne wasn't uh, terribly uh, old. And, and, and injuries are right. Only three guys played at least 80 games. One guy played the whole season, and that's obviously Cogliano because he played every game almost in his uh, career. But you guys were young, uh, injury-plagued, and uh, I, I I don't know. Did, did you... Uh, it, it couldn't have been fun being at the rink, but did you like being uh, in in Edmonton and the atmosphere? And was it was it tough playing for the fans? 
Uh, no, like I, I quite like, like I like Edmonton. I have family that lives in Spruce Grove. I had just, my oldest was born in, in October 2010. So we just uh, kind of got settled and um, living in the Southwest in McGrath. Like I, I like, I like all of that. Uh, and the team, they, they treat you well. They have, you know, the resources, they're not cheap. They're not like everything's good. It was just like, but when you don't have a success on the ice, it's just not, it's not fun. It didn't, it wasn't working. <laughs> it was, we, no matter what we did, we couldn't get out of this rut and we couldn't have success. And we just, uh, it was Hall and Everly's first year. I mean, they were, we were relying a lot on these 18 and 19 year old yeah. players too. I mean, there's a, that's a lot to ask out of, out of a kid just fresh out of high school. And obviously they're both become great players, but, um, I mean, the pressures of playing in Canada and the, having to be successful and, um, all that stuff. I mean, it's not not easy playing in, in the Canadian market, I don't think, anyway. So then you get dealt to L.A. after the season, uh, and it brings Ryan Smith back to Edmonton, so you're you're part of important history there to uh, to give Smitty a chance to retire as an oiler. And, um, and I don't know what your thought process, I, I'm sure you're thinking, wow, I'm, I'm going to a, a, another contender here, and it leads to another cop in L.A. You were playing a lot more uh, in a lot more games. I think you played 18 games. In those in the Stanley Cup playoffs, can you explain the grind that that is, and and maybe how you felt physically after you guys won that cup? Yeah, um, well, first I had to tell the story because I was I was at Andrew Ladd's uh, stag party. He's getting married, and I got Chris Versteeg laying next to me, and uh, it's like eight in the morning, and uh, Steve Tambolini calls. Phone's buzzing to say I've been traded to LA and Steger's going nuts. LA, baby, yeah. He's going to LA. I'm like, holy crap, man. Steve Cavallini's on the surprise thinks I'm a complete idiot because yeah. these guys are yelling at me because he could hear the conversation. And uh, so it was like, a, I don't know. I enjoyed my time at Empton, but I uh, it was time to move on and I was glad that I was getting a fresh start uh, with LA. And um, it was weird because you go to Chicago. We win the cup to the thirtieth place to LA winning the cup. So it was it was pretty wild ride. Um, and I consider myself again coming back to that role, playing a role where uh, even Daryl Sutter took over at Christmas. But even Terry Murray, uh, when I started playing, I played every single game. I wasn't healthy scratch once, uh, even when Terry Murray was the coach. So they appreciated what I did, and they felt like uh, I felt like I'd been in a place where they. They liked my game. They liked my style of play, and they just uh, they let me play. Um, as far as the grind in the playoffs, it's like you're riding this like wave. Especially that year with with LA, it's like we couldn't lose. Um, everything was just going right. We we're healthy. We we're getting bounces. Um, it, it, from the trade deadline on, really, we were kind of trending upward. Uh, we we're hot coming into the playoffs. We knock off Vancouver in five games. We sweep St. Louis in four games. Uh, we beat Phoenix in five, and and then we get up three nothing on Jersey. So mm-hmm. it's like we're just steamrolling everybody, just kind of with a momentum. And um, was it a grind? Absolutely, it was a grind, but uh, it's all worth it. I'll tell you that. It's kind of a it was, it, it's more special for me because I played all those games. And in Chicago was was obviously the first one and awesome, but you uh, I didn't play like I played that in three games all playoffs. So it was nice to feel a part and fill a role and be be one of the regulars and one of the guys in that 2012. Well, I always I always remember uh, the the passage in Wayne Gretzky's book about 
the the year before they won the cup you know they they walked they lost to the islanders they're walking past the dressing room and, and maybe this is exaggerated for a book i'm not sure but they see how tired and sore and you know the islanders are celebrating but they got ice packs all over and and him and kevin Lowe basically said this is what we have to get to to win the cup we have to yeah. put everything on the line um so you're elated when you win but you're also elated because it's over because you know it's just so much hockey oh yeah it, it, there is i mean maybe exaggerate a little bit but there is truth to it like you if you see how much you can't take a day off and how much uh energy you have to put out put forth and um the injuries the bumps the bruises every year i say this even i don't play anymore but every year they're like Oh, Team X had so and so with uh, separated shoulders and knee injuries. Man, every team, the thirtieth place team, has guys that are hurt. Like it's just that's what it is. Guys all play hurt. They all do, whether you're on the winning team or the losing team. Um, there's injuries all the time. So uh, it is about laying it on the line. And we just in LA, we had a kind of a. It really sounds cliche. Um, same with Chicago, but we really did have a tight knit group of guys where everyone got along. Uh, everyone was for the team, and everyone put a lot of things together as a group. Uh, there was no clicks. There was no um, me guys on the team that were bigger than the team. And I think it uh, it is cliche and it sounds cheesy, but I think there's truth to it. Uh, why we had the success we had. No, oh, you played with uh, two of your world junior teammates on that uh, team as well, right? In uh, Carter and Richard. Uh, yeah, and they were. I mean, especially at that time, uh, we're all getting old now. But I mean, we yeah, we brought in carts at the trade deadline, and that's yeah. that's the one that kind of put us over the top. Um, traded for for uh, Richards in the off season. Uh, obviously, he was a leader and a, played a hard game and two hundred foot game, and uh, just you know one of those guys you win with. I mean, he's won everything, right? Uh, so is Jeff. Like those guys, just just play their best hockey in the big games. They don't shy away. They they go the other way and elevate their game. So, uh, I mean, with Andre Kovacar, Drew Doughty, John Quick, like, look at the roster, mm-hmm. right? They're pretty good players um, that are, and like, guys like Kopi, like, they're not selfish guys. Like, they're modest, uh, team-first team guys. Like, Kopi, for me, does not get near enough credit for how good he is because we talk about Patrice Bergeron all the time and how awesome he is and how he's up for selfies all the time. Um I'm telling you right now, if Kopitar played in Boston or Chicago or Toronto or uh, New York, name your big market, he'd be in that conversation every single year too. What was the worst injury you played through? Um, well, I had a broken foot. In Edmonton, I broke my foot, and I played for probably three weeks on it. Uh, wow. Not knowing it was broken. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't a bad break, but it was like this. I didn't practice at all. I just played games, and... Uh, I kept telling them, I'm like, foot's broken, foot's broken. <laughs> like, well, the x-rays are negative. I'm like, I'm telling you right now, my foot's broken. Yeah. We finally get a CT scan. They, okay, it's broken, but you can keep playing. And then I woke up one day in Minnesota, and uh, it was so sore. It was so swollen, and I just I went to the train. I'm like, it was like March, when the 30th place. I'm like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. This is insane that I'm doing this right now. Like, what am I doing? So uh, they shut me down for the rest of the season. There's probably only like, I don't know, six or eight games left in the year. Um, so that, that one was a tough one, but, I've, uh, played through, I, don't know, I broke my finger, broke my hand, uh, broke my hand twice, but I never played through those. ones. like, I finished the game, but, mm-hmm. um, the biggest one was the foot where he just kept, it was just like this nagging, like dull pain, like all the time. And 
uh, I was pretty fortunate though overall, especially the way I played. I, mean, I wasn't a heavyweight, but I still blocked shots and played hard. So um, I was pretty fortunate. What about a teammate? Do you ever see a teammate play through something that you just couldn't imagine? Oh man. I was telling the story the other day, Matt Walker. Do you remember Matt Walker? Yeah. Big D man, played for Chicago, uh, went to Tampa Bay, signed a pretty good deal in Tampa Bay from Beaver Lodge, Alberta, of all places. <laughs> and uh, he broke his finger. It's on YouTube somewhere. Uh, and he, like, pulls his glove out, and his finger's like the letter U, like, it's all mangled. And uh, the, the fans, the two women in the background right behind the bench are, like, mortified. Like, they see it. It's hilarious. <laughs> and this is in... This is uh, 08, 09. So we went to the conference finals against, uh, we lost to Detroit that year um, in the conference finals. And they, uh, he froze his finger every single game. Uh, that was the first round. Until, so I walk in there, I wasn't playing, and Dr. Terry was freezing his finger and he was like, bite the towel, like how much like this is going to hurt. I'm like, this guy is the toughest guy I've ever played hockey with. It's unbelievable watching this guy get his finger frozen every single game. Crazy stuff. Oh. Crazy stuff. Oh, man. That, and that, awesome. Like, like, I, ask me. <laughs> I don't know. I'm getting freaked I'm out just finger. hearing that, man. Oh, crazy. Finger, just a mangled finger. We wanted to play, right? Like, yeah. I don't know. We all play. You talk. You know what? You talk about like concussions and stuff. Like, how many times? The guys don't always tell. Like, I never always told, you know? Like, you don't have to get knocked out to get a concussion but i was i was a fourth line guy if i say i'm out i can't play well then i may be in the minors you know mm. you just play whether that's a foot or a, a finger or an arm you know like you just want to play so um especially back then i mean i'm not even that old but uh guys just play they play hurt all the time i said it earlier like especially in the playoffs they just you need them you need mm. to play you don't want to let the team down you want to win so toughest guy matt walker you know, it's uh, and I, I commend guys for playing through that. Um, we we have to be careful about the heads today, though, don't we? And, for sure. and, and like for you know, sure. you've got kids that are getting into the game. You don't want them. Uh, you know, we have to tell kids that the game is not more important than your life. And and do not, no. you know, you could play with a, a, a broken hand maybe. I don't know if you could, but there are some things you can play through and there are some things you should not play through. For sure. Uh, and I think that I think they're changing that. I think yeah. the culture is changing that uh, for sure, and the importance of it, uh, uh, the research of it, all that stuff. Uh, right, still needs work to be done, but ultimately it's up to the player, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I mean, you can you've got to kind of tell you what. Like, maybe not all people, but I mean, you don't know how somebody else feels. So um, player X, uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, it is important. You have to be knowledgeable on it and don't force the issue. Um, especially in the old days, they probably did a lot more so than they do now. And it's it's probably working there. It's working towards. Um, probably working for it's a good thing yeah it, it's gotten so much better um you know the the players are more honest and and that's what they need to be uh you're doing some scouting now um how's that yep. going and do you ever look at uh, maybe down the road uh, as you get older um, evolving into a coach or a manager uh you know i get that question asked a lot it's not not necessarily why I got into it. I, I, was, I was kind of sitting out of hockey for two years. I thought I was done with hockey. I didn't want to play hockey. I was, you do your whole life. I was kind of I was off of hockey. But nothing happened to me. There wasn't like a you know bad moment. It was just I don't know. I just I thought I was never going to do hockey stuff again. And then I found myself getting itchy to be involved in the sport again somehow. So I reached out to the 
kings and the hawks and the oilers just sniffing around not saying hey i want a scouting job just like hey are there any jobs available i'd like just put my name in the hat so mm-hmm. to speak. and uh ended up getting lucky with the hawks the uh the guy that the job i have now the guy uh, kurt hill took uh the gm position with right. the oil king that's right so so it kind of, I timed it well. I got a little bit lucky, and then the Hawks uh, gave me the the job and gave me the opportunity to to become a scout. So um, I was back in the hockey world, and I, I as far as GM and manager, I I'm happy with where I'm at right now. I got three young kids. Uh, if that happens later, it's fantastic. But it's not it's not why I got involved, and it's not something that I. Uh, think about at least today. I mean, obviously you want to move up in the world, but at the same time, I'm not in a rush to do it. Okay. You're also doing something called school. You and people can find it at www.schoolu.com. That's S C O O L U.com. I really like this concept. Can you explain to my listeners what it is? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, first the why the, the reason I got involved in it is when I look back at my career as a player, it's like I made the NHL and, uh, I was satisfied. So I didn't, uh, I never had a skills coach. I never really had a power skating coach. It's like, uh, I'm in the NHL and I'm good now. And, um, looking back on it, I wish I would have invested in myself more. Uh, whether that be skating skills or all the above. I mean, why not try to maximize your potential as a player? So I met these guys, um, and they basically connect uh, any 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 player, not just NHLers, uh, amateur, whatever you want, to the best coaches in the world. So not just any coach, but the best coaches. So you have uh, Ron Johnson on there, who's, who's worked with um, uh, Joe Pavelski and Patrick Marlowe, among others, and Josh Manson. And then there's uh, Tyler Kennedy's on there. He played for Pittsburgh, who's now working his way up the, the – he wants to be a you know a private skills coach. And uh, and across all sports, there's football, there's basketball, there's uh, music, guitar, but these – no, not any guitar lessons, like guitar lessons from you know guys that play for Keith Urban and Taylor Swift, like uh, so the top of their class. So – um, you can go on there, you can book consults, book packages, book uh, lessons, whether it's via FaceTime type um, setup or um, in person or whatever. Really, sky's the limit. It's kind of what, what your budget allows and what, what, uh, what you have in mind. But um, that's the why I got involved. I think it's a cool concept because it's something that I didn't do as a player that I think I should have and uh, regret not doing I think it's really cool. I mean, I'm I'm looking on here at uh, some of the guys, not just in sports, but there's a guy on here named Greg Mora who is the country drummer of the year. Well, that sounds like a, a pretty good guy uh, to to learn from. And, um, you know, as you mentioned, um, there's all kinds of um, music. Uh, there's lots of sports, not just hockey, though, uh, you know, basketball, figure skating, tennis, snowboarding, um, you know, what's it like for you, um, uh, being involved in this and, and helping people? Well, it's, I mean, it's really cool first off, cause it's like, maybe these are the top, you know, it's Roger Federer's, uh, tennis coach. It's, uh, Steph Curry's yeah. basketball coach. Like it's, it's like legit people, you know, and I, I don't obviously know those sports, so I don't help on, on that side, but, uh, I help on the hockey side. Um, just connections and knowing people and, and, you know, things like this, just trying to get the, the word out there more. Um, but, you know, we have lots of like amateur players that, you know, draft eligibles or um, like better legit hockey players that, 
you know, want to work with say Ron or they, or they want to work with a mental skills coach or they, we have uh, Ian Max, who's Patrick King's strength coach. Like he's like a stretching, like not just weights, like stretching and movement specialist. Um, so we kind of just connect these guys and they give them programs and they, they meet in person and they meet uh, on the internet uh, via video conference. Really the sky's the limit really um, with where it can go and the way the technology's going, uh, you know, you could be a kid in, uh, China or wherever your country is, and you could be connected with these guys over in North America. So uh, the world gets smaller and smaller. I thought it was a very cool concept that I, it doesn't really exist, at least not at, at the level of the quality uh, of the coach. Um, and I think it's something everyone can benefit from. It's uh, amazing. I mean, there's some uh, Hall of Famers uh, on there, a couple of Hall of Famers at Troche and, uh, and Grant Fuhrer. So uh, it's pretty awesome. Yep. And, a, and a three-time Stanley Cup champion uh, like yourself. Uh, so if people can find out more information, if they just head to www.schoolu.com, S-C-O-O-L-U.com, is that uh, where they can get all the info? Yep, that's correct. It's all on there. And uh, any questions, you can, uh, there's like an info page and, and a how it works page and all that stuff. And then you can also just hit those guys with an email to uh, ask anything further or set something up or, or whatever the case may be. Awesome, Colin. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. I, I really uh, enjoyed going uh, down memory lane with you and I appreciate your time. Uh, and I look forward to uh, hearing from you again, chatting with you again and uh, keeping in touch. Thanks so much for joining me here on Sports and More and uh, Merry Christmas. All the best in the season. Enjoy the World Juniors. All right, great. Thanks, Dean. What do you say? This is the Sports and More podcast with Dean Millard. Fun conversation with uh, Colin Frazier down memory lane. Some really great stories in that interview. And uh, that was I Got Time from Sweet Bejesus. After the interview, uh, the official band and music of Sports and More, the podcast, and Sports and More Live on the 12-ounce Sports Radio Network, Monday to Friday, 2 to 4 p.m. You can download the debut album of Sweet Bejesus, Policeman's Creek, on Apple Music. All right, before we wrap things up, we have a gift card from Acme Meat Market up for grabs. You can go say hi to Corey, Amanda, and their wonderful staff in the Ritchie Market in Edmonton, and that's located at 9570 76th Avenue. Check out their website, acmemeatmarket.ca, since 1921, and you're getting some great product from a great butcher, Corey the Butcher, which is his Twitter handle is recently been named to Team Canada for the World Butcher's Challenge in September 2020. So you're kind of getting the Marc Messier of butchers, if you will. So here's the question. Name the one skater, no goalies, the one skater who didn't play a game in the NHL from the 2005 Canadian roster. 
The answer was in the interview if you need to go back and check it out. But there was one skater, that means it doesn't include goalies, that did not play an NHL game. You can send your answers to sportsandmorepod at gmail.com. That's sportsandmorepod at gmail.com. And you can check out uh, past episodes of this show at podcastalley.ca. Thank you so much to Colin Frazier for joining me today. Thank you so much to you, the listener, for downloading this podcast. If you did enjoy it, uh, please subscribe and leave us a review. Let us know. Let me know what you think, um, what could be better, and I will take that under advisement. And if you want to be a part of the show as an advertiser or anything else, let me know. Sportsandmorepod at gmail.com. That is sportsandmorepod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for downloading this podcast. Uh, We will chat with you again next week when we will have a full World Junior preview with Guy Flaming from the Pipeline Show. Playtime is over. Roly-poly, baby, don't clench your teeth. This is the Sports and More podcast with Dean Millard. So do not lie and do what's right. Always have humility, but do your best to succeed.